Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When Diplomacy Fails presents... The July Crisis Anniversary Project, a day-by-day account of the events that occurred 100 years ago. Profiles The powers, plans, and politics involved in the July Crisis are very intricate and require a certain level of background information. These profile episodes will seek to investigate the background details of the key powers involved, giving you a unique profile of each one. In this case, the profile in question focuses on Serbia. The Serbian War of Independence had recreated Serbia as a principality of the Ottoman Empire in 1817. But by 1878, Serbia had established itself as an independent state. Within the state, an awkward monarchy resided, led by the Obrenovic dynasty. The Obrenovic dynasty competed with its rival vying for the monarchy, the Karadjordjevic line, and had been doing so since the earliest days of the Serbian rebellion against their Ottoman masters. It was the grandson of the first Obrenovic king, King Milan, who ruled from 1868-1889, that provides the best anecdotal evidence of Serbia's turbulent political and monarchical history. The emergence of Serbian political parties in the mid-1880s transformed Serbian political culture, and these were followed by newspapers, local committees, and manifestos. King Milan worked hard to suppress these elements, when they conflicted with his perception of what Serbia should be, an absolute monarchy. Elections in 1883 produced a negative political atmosphere for King Milan, so he attempted to dissolve parliament and set up a bureaucratic government of his own. This was bad enough, but the war against Bulgaria in 1885 was so badly planned and conducted that by 1889 King Milan, having caused a scandal by divorcing publicly his wife in the hopes of marrying some suspected, the wife of his personal secretary, abdicated in favour of his 12-year-old son, and the country was placed under a regency. In 1893, 
At 16 years of age, this young king Alexander staged a bizarre coup against his regency, as its statesmen were ushered into the young king's presence and informed that henceforth they were under arrest and Alexander would be in charge. This incredibly strange event, almost without parallel in Europe, was in fact the work of the recently abdicated King Milan. Milan had been pulling the strings of Serbia behind the scenes, and had orchestrated the coup so as to maintain a level of power for himself. Milan became supreme commander of the Serb army, and the Alexander-Milan dual monarchy endured until 1900. The potential bad press coming off the rumours that his father was pulling the strings of the Serbian monarchy would have done Alexander no favours, but he seems to have had little trouble ruining his public image all by himself. He ensured the closure of newspapers, the end of secret ballots, and the inauguration of a new era of absolutist rule. In addition, he married the obscure Draga Mason, ten years his senior, who was rumoured to have been the mistress of virtually every Serb politician. His rumours were pushing ahead with the Union are unclear, but his decision even soured relations with his shadowy father Milan, who left the country for Austria in 1900 and died there a year later. Not even the appeals of those in the Crown Council could persuade him to cancel the marriage. The reasoning of one Serbian politician in particular, who pleaded with King Alexander that he wasn't to marry Draga because she has been everyone's mistress, mine included, earned him a slap across the face. Serb opposition to the couple began to grow, as it became harder for an actual government to form, and King Alexander was forced to rely on unknown bureaucrats while he constantly feared for his life. It seemed as though the royal couple may have turned a corner when news of a pregnancy emerged, but when this was later proved false, and worse, was said to have been concocted by the royal family to boost national opinion of them, Serbia's monarchical principle appeared on its last legs. In March 1903, Alexander suspended Parliament and the Constitution, only to re-implement it 45 minutes later. Soon, all levels of Serb society had massed against the couple, and on the 6th of April, when a protest against royal powers and the disrespect for the Constitution was brutally suppressed, with 18 killed and many wounded, plots against them entered their terminal phase. By spring 1903, as many as 150 conspirators were involved in the plot to kill their royal family and replace it with Republican government, and on the 11th of June they struck, brutally butchering the royals and anyone associated with or related to them. By the time it was over, a democratic constitution had been set in place, guaranteed by the new king, this one a figurehead, King Peter of the Karad Hordievich dynasty. Perhaps the one saving grace of Serbia had been its military. During the father and son control of the country, King Milan had, as commander of Serb armed forces, ensured lavish spending and quality investment in the army. This was slackened a bit by his falling out of favour with Alexander in 1900, but the residual results of its years of attention remained. For many, the best way to achieve notoriety and make good money was through the army. The regicide had been accomplished by the work of Serbian secret organisations, and those responsible soon acquired for themselves a privileged place in the Serb army. Thus, those responsible remained active political actors for some time, but it was the actions and character of one individual in particular that deserves special mention. Dragutin Dmitrievich, nicknamed Apis after the Egyptian bull god for his heavy build, was instrumental in moving the conspirators towards their actions on the 11th of June. 
A sharp, obsessively secret and ruthless individual, Apis installed himself in the post-regicide committee of the conspirators, which soon began to undermine free Serbian society. The presence of a shadowy organisation pledged to defend, expand and unify Serbian interests in the Balkans will be recognisable even at this early stage as the Black Hand that would send Gavrilo Prince of Sarajevo a decade later. Yet at this early stage it created in Serbian society the awareness that one was being watched, and that, even if one did not agree with the brutal events of the 11th of June 1903, to criticise them openly was to hazard one's life. Not even the king could escape from the plan that the conspirators wished to implement. He remained an effective prisoner of their plans, owing his position and status firmly to them. The king is a nullity, one Austrian Foreign Office official concluded at the end of November 1903. The whole show is run by the people of the 11th of June. It was by inserting themselves into the remaining high levels of government and acquiring the best posting for themselves that the conspirators ensured that they not only remained relevant, but had a strong influence on Serbian policy. Serbia's leading political party, known as the Radical Party, was under the leadership of Nikola Pesic, a veteran politician who had made his name as early as 1875 with the opposition to the Ottoman arrangement. The Radical Party sought to realise the dreams of Serbian unity, the creation of a Serb superstate that would unify all Serbs in the Balkans. In 1844, Serbia's interior minister drew up a document called the Programme for the National and Foreign Policy of Serbia, wherein it stated that Serbs across the Balkans should unite under Serbian rule, and that Serbian policy should revolve around such a goal. The influence of this 1844 document was still being felt in the early 1900s, when its core arguments inspired nationalists and members of the Radical Party to apply its ideals to their policies. Where a Serb dwells, there is Serbia, was one phrase that struck a chord with the nationally minded Serbs, wedged as they were in the first decade of the 20th century between other national groupings and Balkan states, as well as a residual Ottoman presence. The Greater Serbia idea had its basis in fact, since it adopted as its template the historical borders of Tsar Stephen de San whose empire in 1389 encompassed a vast swathe of territory, including Albania, most of Macedonia, central and northern Greece, and the modern-day Serbian Republic, though curiously not Bosnia. Using this template, Serb nationalists could argue that they were not advocating change, but merely a return to the old ways, to realise the right Serbia has to exist as it once did. They cannot accuse us of seeking something new, unfounded, or constituting a revolution or an upheaval, but rather everyone must acknowledge that it is politically necessary, that it was founded in very ancient times and has its roots in the former political and national life of the Serbs. These were the words of the interior minister, who had been the architect of the 1844 document, Minister Elidia Garasanin. Garasanin's ideas were still adhered to by the conspirators in the early 20th century, and upon committing their regicide they developed a national unification program around the ideas of Serbian interest and self-preservation. To further Serbian interests would involve giving the state the ability to expand its borders to encompass these peoples, who, according to Apis, now a national hero and a key figure in keeping the conspirators together in the years after the regicide, would have to go to war with its neighbours Austria and Turkey, as a means of achieving it. 
the potential for conflict with Austria was minimal before the regicide. In the years before, the Balkans had borne witness to the creation of Bulgaria in 1885, which nearly upset completely the planned balance of power in the region, and was a direct result of Ottoman weakness following its war with Russia in 1877. Bulgaria was created as a satellite state of Russia, and because both Bulgaria and Serbia were said to harbour designs on Macedonia, where Greater Serbia's borders once reached, according to Garrisanin, there was a great need for an ally in the region. Thus, the Obrenovich dynasty believed it made strategic sense to cement its ties with Russia's rival in the Balkans, Austria. The reasons for this alliance were purely strategic, since anti-Austrian sentiment in Serbia was high, and Serb nationalists recognised the economic dependence that would ensue from close ties with Austria, ties that would prevent future wars against the Habsburgs in the name of unification. So long as Milan remained on the throne though, Austria could be assured that Serbia would remain favourable to it. Of course the events of 1903 changed this utterly, as the mostly pro-Austrian Obrenovich dynasty was exterminated to make way for the more pro-Russian and pro-Serb Karad Yordievich line. King Peter assured Vienna of his determination to stay the course, but by 1905 problems revolving around trade, armaments and high finance were shaking the relationship. Habsburg attempts to secure a commercial treaty to ensure that Serbian orders would remain with Austrian firms and contact a major loan in Belgrade all fell through, as the French and Russians offered Serbia better deals from which she could exercise her own individual muscle. Serbia was itself indebted, unproductive and in need of reform in the early 20th century. Low literacy rates, lack of foreign investment, and the failure to increase rural productivity slowed Serb growth even as the population soared. It resulted in a dependency on foreign capital to operate the country, as well as the stigma attached to the military that it was the sole route for ambitious young men to take. King Milan's impact on the army then had not disappeared, with the result that a civilian Serb government was being confronted with an increasingly arrogant military class. Nationalism remained the only tool capable of driving the various elements of Serb society together, while the military's control of affairs, both public and private, as well as the pervasive influence of border clashes in regions where small bands of Serbs warred in the name of Greater Serbia, seemed to suggest that a single match could ignite the entire state. Then, in 1908, Austria officially annexed Bosnia-Herzegovina into its empire. The occupation of Bosnia had in fact begun as early as the end of the Russo-Turkish War of 1877, in which Serbia also acquired its independence. The Treaty of Berlin that ended the war a year later had, as one of its articles, the stipulation that Austria was to occupy the Bosnian region, though it would remain under de jure Turkish rule. The Russian war against the Ottoman Empire had also ensured that the Turks spit out Bulgaria as an Ottoman principality and Austria's announcement that it had annexed Bosnia in 1908 coincided with Bulgaria's declaration of its complete independence. Henceforth, the Bulgarian ruler would be known as a Tsar. But if the Habsburgs had hoped that by coinciding it with another event it would reduce the international focus on their actions, then they were sorely mistaken. The annexation of Bosnia sparked the Bosnian Crisis, or First Balkan Crisis, and inflamed Serbian opinion against Vienna. 
whereas previous nationalist demands centred on its competition with Bulgaria over the rights to occupy Macedonia and realise greater Serbia, the events of the Bosnian crisis sent Serb attention and anger swinging directly towards Vienna. Anti-Austrian demonstrations 20,000 men strong took place in Belgrade. New committees, such as the Serb National Defence, sprang up and drew recruits from 220 communities, which dangerously included some already living within Austrian territory. International opinion, though it was squarely against the move, soon learned of vociferous opposition within Serbia, and many were shocked at its intensity. In April 1909, the British minister in Belgrade noted that Every patriotic Serbian who takes any interest or active part in politics thinks of the Serbian nation not merely as including the subjects of King Peter, but as consisting of all those who are kin to them in race and language. He looks forward, consequently, to the eventual creation of Greater Serbia, which shall bring into one fold all the different sections of the nation, at present divided under Austrian, Hungarian and Turkish rule. From this point of view, Bosnia is both geographically and ethnographically the heart of Serbia. Pan-Serb publicists upheld that Bosnia-Herzegovina belonged to Serb lands under foreign dominion because its population was entirely Serbian in race and language, except for those planted by the Austrians during their occupation of the previous 30 years. Veterans of the Macedonian campaigns, some of whom had links to APIS. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. appeared poised to launch a campaign to reverse the annexation. Yet the Serbian government understood it had little chance of victory. Serbia's campaign against the Habsburgs would have been suicidal, not least because Serbia did not enjoy the support of the great power to the east, which was by now its national, ethnic and ideological ally. 
Russia. The sudden move of Austria to annex the provinces had not been a mere whim. It had been the result of a secret agreement between it and Russia, whereby Russia would get Austrian support for better deals in the Turkish Straits, upon which Russian commerce depended, and Austria would get Russian approval, or at least not Russian opposition, for Austrian annexation of one of Russia's so-called Balkan children. The agreement had been the result of a private meeting between the foreign ministers of Austria and Russia, Count Arenthal and Alexander Izvolsky respectively. It had been made while Izvolsky was under the impression that neither the Russian public would mind the loss of the provinces, nor the British government would mind the increased Russian control over its Turkish Straits negotiations. Izvolsky proved to have terribly miscalculated on both points. He was residing in London when news emerged of the annexation. Initially he remained calm, but when word emerged both of the British dislike of the idea in the Dardanelles, and the Russian public's opposition to leaving Bosnia to the Austrians, the Russian minister panicked. Cynically, he portrayed himself as a mere victim of Austria's hoodwinking, and claimed that it was Count Arenthal who had fooled him into making the agreement. It had in fact been made with the twofold aim of circumventing the 1878 Treaty of Berlin and improving Austro-Russian relations that the agreement had been developed, and signed on the estate owned by Leopold von Berchtold, soon to be Austrian Foreign Minister. The Ottomans had been bought off of their claims to sovereignty over the region, while Izvolsky proved receptive to the idea of annexation so long as Austria could offer something in return. The Tsar, claimed Izvolsky later, pushed for a better deal in the Turkish Straits, and because of recent Anglo-Russian agreements, it was believed that the British would not oppose the move as before. Arenthal had in fact been ambassador to Russia from 1899 to 1906, and in those years attempted to achieve an upturn in relations between the two states. The annexation, coming as the result of a secret agreement between two very public rivals, could have paved the way for better relations. However, it did the complete opposite, tearing in half the years of reconciliation, and with the Russian minister attempting to blacken the Austrian minister's name, the Habsburgs were in no mood to back down, when the Russian Tsar initially attempted to overcome the embarrassment by the use of threats of mobilisation. Austrian statesmen felt calm in this case because of the promise of German support. In fact, it was a German note that settled down the dispute. Known as the St. Petersburg Note of March 1909, it urged Russia to disarm and make Serbia do the same, or else, the note warned, events would take their course. This hinted not only at the possibility of war against Serbia, but also of making Izvolsky's agreements very public knowledge. Izvolsky threatened with the ruin of his political career and the revealing of the facts that he did not have Serbian or Slavic goals foremost in his heart backed down immediately. Thus the Bosnian crisis, though to the untrained eye it seemed like an example of Austro-German bullying of Russia, was instead the end result of a Russian politician not fully doing the research about the political consequences of his actions. The Austro-German partnership could indeed claim a sense of victory particularly because Russia's ally France had neglected to back its Entente friend in the name of the crisis, an ill omen if there ever was one for the future of that partnership. In Belgrade, the efforts of the Serb foreign minister to persuade political and military extremists alike of the futility in challenging Austria, while attempting to gain some sort of compensation, bore fruit after months of difficult endurance for that statesman. 
In the winter of 1908-09, the great powers informed him that Serbia would have to step down, pacify its extremist elements and accept the decision. This Serbian foreign minister, Milovanovic, was mindful that to denounce Serb irredentism and dreams of greater Serbia would be to go against Serb national identity, so he did not go that far. However, Milovanovic did understand that moderate foreign policy would have to be conducted, since Serbia's position and power did it no favours when alone against the central powers. Serbian politics was divided only along the lines of how to achieve the aims of greater Serbia. There was scarcely a Serb statesman who did not want to see Serbia enlarged and encompassing its neighbouring brethren. Whereas politicians like Milovanovic and Prime Minister Nikola Pesic differed from the likes of Apis, was in conducting of policy. Because both sides claimed the same goals though, and because the prevailing extremism, particularly after the Bosnian crisis, tinged the national debate and gave the advantage to the uncompromising extremists, it was very difficult for external observers to tell the difference, and instead denoted Serbian politics as irredentist to the extreme, with no limits or safeguards. This international perception of Serbia would have dramatic impacts on the later July crisis, when one found it difficult to discern between the portions of the Serbian government involved or not involved with organisations like the Black Hand. The consequences of the come-down were enormous in Belgrade. After much effort, the government agreed to renounce its claims on the region on the 31st of March 1909. They agreed to dissolve or redirect the nationalist paramilitary groups that had sprung up, and they agreed to drop their demands for further compensation. Strengthening Serb ties to Russia and simultaneously acquiring a French loan to increase its military spending, Nikola Pesic hoped to make out of the Bosnian crisis a watershed moment for Serbian nationalism. French military advisers followed their loan to Belgrade, and from St. Petersburg, a key Russian official named Nikolai Hartwig, who was pan-Slavic and Serbophile, as well as resoundingly critical of Izvolsky and his failure to support the Serbs, arrived as ambassador to Serbia. Additionally, Serbia's national organisations, far from dissolving, intensified, forming Union or Death, later known as the Black Hand, on the 3rd of March 1911. Among its seven founding members were Apis, as well as five officers who had committed the regicide of 1903. Apis brought with him his towering influence over previous military graduates, some of whom had been present or approved of the regicide, and soon the Black Hand had an underclass of recruits or sympathisers dedicated to the cause. Its manifesto was, unsurprisingly, the achievement of Greater Serbia, but by extreme means if necessary. Additionally, the group denied the existence of Croats, considering them essentially Serbs, and eliminating the separate identity of Islamic Serbs from their concept of statehood. They established the idea that Serbia was to be the Piemont of the South Slav peoples, a statement loaded with historical and nationalistic symbolism, since it had been Piemont that had played the greatest role in unifying Italy. They named their journal after this concept, and together they proclaimed the incompatibility of its ideas with that of the Serbian government, who were labelled as traitors. Apis, who was in 1911 Professor of Tactics at the Military Academy in Belgrade, was a prime mover in the Black Hand in its earliest days, and it did not take long for rumours to waft across Serbia's borders that the head of Serbia's military doubled as a political and national extremist. Recruitment began, 
as did military training and underground initiatives. Little record was kept either of their makeup or plans, but by the end of 1911 some 2,500 had taken the oath. The Serbian public were certainly aware of the Black Hand, and many joined with the promise of belonging to an organisation that met in public coffee houses as often as it met in dimly lit underground basements. The secrecy and clandestine nature of the organisation, coupled with its opposition to compromise and its greater aims, made it an appealing prospect for younger Serbs. Nikola Pesic, while he was aware of the group, believed it erroneously to be committed to overthrowing the state of Serbia from within, which, while certainly a side goal of the movement, was not its primary aim. Talk filtered through to Belgrade that even the son of King Peter, his designated successor, had helped finance the Black Hand's journal, Piemon. It began to cultivate links with Bosnian organisations, and Serb military personnel along the Serb-Bosnian border were especially susceptible to Black Hand recruiters. Such connections would prove crucial in the events leading up to the 28th of June 1914. The Black Hand even acquired a martyr when on the 3rd of June 1910, on the occasion that the Bosnian parliament was to be opened, Bogdan Zarajic, a Serbian student from Herzegovina, fired five shots at the new Bosnian governor. All five went wide, but Zarajic saved the sixth bullet for himself, and was later buried in an anonymous grave that became a site of pilgrimage for Black Hand members. Contraband, in the form of pamphlets glorifying his life and deeds, were smuggled across interstate Balkan borders, bearing memorable slogans such as, Young Serbs, will you produce such men? It was quite a challenge to the region as a whole, and it also sparked the emergence of terrorist acts such as suicidal shootings that were to later prove so influential. Only six months after the founding of the Black Hand, in September 1911, Italy invaded Libya, and thus began a series of chain reactions which were to have a devastating effect on the Balkans. A series of unprovoked attacks by opportunistic Balkan powers on the region that had endured Ottoman rule for the past six centuries finally expelled the resilient Turks from the Balkans in the First Balkan War beginning in October 1912. The following May 1913, it was the victorious Balkan powers presiding over their conquests that made official the defeat of the once all-conquering Ottoman Empire. All powers in the region gained, but it was Serbia's gains that confounded Austrian opinion the most, since it expanded its population by another 1.5 million and increased its land from 18,000 to 33,000 square miles. Reports of human rights violations by Serbian authorities were given the political treatment, and depending on one's membership in either alliance bloc, one believed or disbelieved the rumours and dispatches which claimed that rape, pillage, scalpings, murders and forced evacuations of ethnic undesirables were being conducted at a dizzying pace. The second war against Bulgaria, fought mostly over the spoils and enmeshed within Ottoman and Greek opportunism, ended in July 1913, having lasted merely a month. By that time, Serbia had pulled its various elements together and appeared more unified than ever before. Apis had been contacted to plan the invasion of Macedonia in the early months of 1912 preceding the First Balkan War, and had been promoted to Lieutenant Colonel in January 1913 and Chief of the General Staff's Intelligence Division that August, which gave him complete control over the country's foreign agents many of whom worked covertly for the Black Hand.
Serbia appeared ready to politically unravel following disagreements between the military and the government over the nature of governments in the newly acquired regions. Pejic's government wanted to implement a civilian government by decree, whereas the military wanted to continue military rule. The latter's exponents included Apis, who upheld that in order to rule effectively Serbia's disparate ethnic elements, an iron fist was essential. The civilian government appears to have believed along the same line as this, but that bureaucrats, rather than soldiers, should represent such a stringent governmental style. Matters nearly erupted into civil war, as the newly successful military, inflated with confidence over its recent wars of conquest, refused to give in. Rumours abounded that a military coup with Apis at its head was due to be launched with the goal of overthrowing Pejic's government, assassinating him, and forcing King Peter to abdicate in favour of his son. Amid such crisis, Serbia's foreign allies intervened. First was Russia, whose ambassador advised Belgrade that Russia's Balkan policies required Pejic to be in office. But the coup d'etat came from France where Paris hindered it would withdraw its funding from any new government established by wanton force. Serbia's military understood that their country was virtually floating on French money, and Apis acknowledged that he had been outmaneuvered, extricating himself momentarily from the political sphere. None of this political volatility, of course, did anything to ease the mood of Vienna who saw the gains made by Serbia in the Balkan Wars as an issue which demanded not just renewed and concentrated attention, but also immediate rectifying through the pursuit of means which were becoming increasingly difficult to grasp. The British ambassador to Serbia, Dayral Krakenthorpe, himself an avid Serbophile and non-believer of rumours of Serb atrocities in the newly acquired lands, noted that though Serbia's political elements battled with one another, it did not matter to Vienna who came out on top, since the underlying goals of both were the dissolution of Austria-Hungary and the realisation of Greater Serbia. It was Dayrell's opinion that both the more moderate and prudent section of opinion, represented in the Radical Party cabinet, and the military party, represented by organisations like the Black Hand, believed in more or less Austrian dissolution and identical nationalist goals. Dayrell upheld that whereas the militarists believed in a war of aggression when the moment arrives and the country is prepared, the moderates believed that the signal for the disruption of the Austro-Hungarian Empire will come not from without, but from within the empire. Thus, it was important, moderates in Serbia believed, to prepare for any eventualities, while militarists wished to exploit any Austrian weaknesses. Weaknesses such as the publication of the Austrian heir to the throne's itinerary? Such an opportunity proved too good a chance to miss, since when else would Apis be in a position to exploit the vulnerability of his sworn enemy's royal heir? It was by seizing upon the organisational foundations established by years of patriotic, clandestine and nationalistic practice that Apis was able to organise the shipping of his trained assassins across the Serb-Bosnian border on the night of Wednesday the 24th of June. Among them was Gavrido Princip, who had recently visited the grave of the Serb martyr Bogdan Zirajic. Princip was determined to uphold his oath and do his duty to realise the dream of Serb unity, and prove that young Serbs had indeed produced such men. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.